first I want to say, I'm not, uh, some of you may know this, I'm not a big spotlight person. Uh, my wife would tell you that. I just enjoy working and grinding. Uh, but I have been extremely grateful for the past six plus years that uh, I feel like a lucky person because you've afforded me the opportunity to sit in a quiet place and study scripture. And I've got to hear your stories and learn from you and been able to uh, put that together sometimes in messages and lessons. And you've always been so open and affirming and encouraging to those things. So I want you to know that I, I am extremely grateful for how you've always accepted myself and my family and the messages and people that we brought here. Uh, I, I thought the best way to kind of say uh, somewhat a farewell in the same way Jesus never really said goodbye. I mean, we're only, as we say, we're only a bridge away. Uh, was to use part of Jesus's farewell sermon. So I thought, you know, I can't do any better than that. And he tells us to go and make disciples. But before we get into what it means to make something, I thought it would be good for us to think about uh, what makes us who we are. And I don't mean that in some like poetic, metaphorical sense. I mean that in a scientific sense. What makes us who we are? And we are made, you are made of around 37.2 trillion cells. And we know this because some kid sat under a microscope while another person laid there. And he said, sit still. And he counted. And can you imagine having had that job? 500,323,616. 500, 500,323,616. Stop moving, you know. But they eventually got to 37.2, and that's about what makes us who we are. But a cell by itself doesn't create anything. When it comes together with something of a similar substance and likeness, it creates life. But if you broke down into a cell, you would find out that cells are made of atoms. And atoms don't create life by themselves, but when they come together with other similar substances and essences like other atoms, they create cells which create life. And if you were to break down inside of an atom, which we have done, you would see that they are made up of particles. And they look kind of like this. They're made up of protons, neutrons, and electrons. Many of you remember this from science class? <laughs> You're like, yes. But a proton doesn't create life by itself, and neither does an electron or a neutron. When they come together with things of a similar substance, they create life. And actually, they've broken inside of these things, and they found there are other things that are even smaller, and they're called quarks, which is really funny. It sounds like a little kid came up with that word. And what you see here, the most uh, frequently used quarks there is an up quark and a down quark. I guess opposites attract. But in the middle, what you don't see, the thing that binds them is something called a strange quark, which kind of makes it funny to me that you can imagine quarks talking to each other and saying, down quark, I don't know where you're going. Like, can you, why are you always going? So you're always so, got to be so different. But then down quark says to up quark, well, yeah, I get that, but have you seen this other quark? I mean, that quark is weird. And that is why the scientists have called it a strange quark. But when these things come together, quark, an up quark by itself does not create life. But when it comes together with things of a similar substance and likeness, it creates particles, which when come together with other particles, create atoms, which create cells, which create life, which creates something beautiful like you. There is another opinion about what makes us who we are. And that comes 
out of a religious text that I want to read to you. It might be familiar to some of you, especially those of you who have attempted to read the Bible from beginning to end. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. There was God and there was Spirit coming together to create what we have. I want to skip down a bit in that chapter to verse 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let us make man in our image. Humanity. I don't know if you caught this. Jesus looks an awful lot like a human. His God made up of 37.2 trillion cells. He's made up of quarks and cells and atoms. He's made up of the same thing that we are. But of course, Jesus, God, and the Spirit come together and create everything we see before us today. They create life. What we hear from this sacred text that's thousands of years old isn't that one thing created something. It's that things came together and created something. So what does that mean exactly? Does that mean, I mean, are you telling me that, that science is actually telling a similar story to what our religion is telling us? Or is our religion actually the same, uh, uh, such a same story that we're, we're seeing the proof of our religion in science now? I mean, is, is science and religion, are they kind of saying the same thing, that this is how we got here, this is how we became who we are? Nah, that can't be true, that can't be true. Because all I've ever heard is science and religion, they don't talk, and they aren't friends, and they don't agree with each other. That's all I've ever heard. But just uh, for hypothetically speaking, let's go for the rest of the day with that they are in agreement on something, that life comes together when things of a similar substance come together. If we are truly made in the image of God, uh, this is back in, I think, 2006. I met this guy named Jamie in Orlando, Florida, and he told me this story that really blew my mind. Uh, he, he was volunteering with a youth group, and he was telling me that uh, he was telling me this story and kind of asking me where he should go from here. They had met this girl at a, at a concert, like at a club, and they had seen her kind of stumble out of the crowd, just completely pale-faced, white-faced, and sort of stumble and just kind of crouch down in a corner in the back of the room. And maybe you've seen that, where people are just clearly something is wrong. And so they, when they approached her and asked her if she was okay, she had actually been awake for 36 hours on a cocaine-induced bender. And he didn't know this, but she would be awake for another 24 hours past that. It had been filled with alcohol, with abuse and other things. This wasn't the first time for her. And so they brought her to a drug rehab center in Orlando that's open 24 hours. And they actually said to him that she is too dangerous to be here. You can't leave her here. So what did they do? At that point, I, I'm like, what did you do? I mean, most people at that point would say, well, I've done all I can. They actually brought her home and had some other females from the church come with them. And they were just like, OK, well, we've got to get you better. And we have five days to do it. So I love this. Uh, he said, 
we're going to make a five-day rehab, and it's going to be the most rock and roll rehab center you've ever seen. There were other friends that they were going to other concerts or this sort of festival later in the day, and they bought her tickets and took her there. They took her to Starbucks. They took her to her favorite coffee shop. They went to buy books at the bookstore, and they talked about art and music and movies and just continued this treatment until finally on the fifth day was a Sunday night, and they had a worship service at their church. And a lot of people were familiar with her story then. Her name is Renee. And they just prayed over her. And they said, we love you. You know, you're going to be okay. And they, she went to rehab. They continued to write letters to her. And when she came out, they were the first, pe first people that she met. Her family didn't visit her. Her family didn't come get her. I mean, that, so often that's the case, isn't it, when you see people with such terrible addictions. And that story, she wrote a series of journals about that that became very famous. And he wrote a story that you can read on their website. It's an organization called To Write Love on Her Arms. You may have seen Jen and I wear uh, some of their clothes. And I personally, I think they are the best in uh, young adult and teen suicide and depression prevention. They are incredible. But that story, like that is exactly what Jesus is asking us to do to step into some dark place, to step into someone who is not supposed to be, we're not supposed to be hanging out with these people, and include them in every part of our life that their lives would be transformed. And you're thinking, gosh, that is so dramatic. I would never do something like that. <laughs> and you know what, that's, I want you to know, that's kind of okay. You know, you don't have to have a really dramatic story like that. I think the question that we have to ask ourselves is, is it possible? Is it possible that we could do things like that? And the first, I think we can tell by just the first couple verses that John so eloquently read just a few minutes ago, that the 11 disciples proceeded to, to Galilee. These 11 had 11 opinions about what it meant to follow Jesus. And we know that because we read about it in other works of the New Testament. And just as much as, I don't know, there may be 80 people here, that means there are 80 opinions on what it means to follow Jesus in this room. Every single one of us, no matter how close we are, have some moment where we finally disagree on what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so did they. But the, but the second sentence is the one that really gets me. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. I mean, I don't want to be a, a Monday morning quarterback on Matthew who wrote this, but... You know, if I dare say, I wish he would have changed that sentence to have it flipped backwards, where it would begin, some of them doubted, but they worshipped him, because that's what happened. Today, all 80 of us stand in this room, and we sing songs, and we pray, and we shake hands, and we kiss babies, and we, we hug, and we worship together, but some of you doubt, and I know that you do, because I do, and that also is okay, because so did these disciples. They doubt it. I know I've told many of you this. This is probably once a week I wake up and I think, I can't believe that. That can't be real. But I still come and worship because I know God still loves me just the same. We all are here worshiping, even though some of us doubt. Unfortunately, though, we haven't always been the best at including people and really seeing people's lives transformed in such a way. There's a guy I really respect in the church world. He's a pastor in uh, North Chicago. His name's Bill Hybels. Some of you might have heard of him. He uh, runs the Willow Creek Church there. 
And it's a church of, you know, over 10,000. It's a massive organization. Excuse me. And he has created a curriculum that churches around the globe depend on. I mean, this is someone that so many people that are even important people will look up to this person. And the moment when I admired him most was he put out a video statement saying, I have bad news to tell everyone, but I want to start off with good news. Over the past several decades, we have been the best at getting people to come to church, become members, accept Jesus Christ, become baptized. We have been better than anybody. We have been awesome. And it's true, they have. But we did some studying of our congregation and the community in which we live in. And our, the people that attend Willow Creek are just as likely to be depressed, are just as likely to suffer de from depression, are just as likely to have broken homes, are or to have caused broken homes, are just as likely to be deceitful, and so on. Like we have done so well at converting people, but we have not created disciples. Are we guilty of that? Are we guilty of making converts but not disciples? It took Jesus three years to work with these people on a daily basis, just about. And John even expressed it when he was telling us of his story of the Philippines. That, you know, there are these people that were saying, yes, I want to follow Jesus' teachings, but there is that concern, well, what happens when we leave? What happens tomorrow? Are there, is there going to be a follow-up of some kind? I mean, are we guilty of this? When Jesus calls us to make disciples, he's calling us to do so much more than just simply have someone sign a membership card or sign a pledge or walk through a door. We're not just there to to respect and admire Jesus Christ as some great teacher of history. We're there to imitate his lifestyle. We're not just there to say, what a great person of history. We don't just learn from him so we can pass some sort of IQ test on the Bible. We learn from him so our lives are changed and the lives of the people we meet are changed. And if our lives aren't changed and the lives around us aren't changed, then we should look inside ourselves and wonder, Am I simply a convert or am I a disciple? Am I really acting out in the ways that Jesus is acting out? Or am I simply just learning what he said? I mean, I've never heard someone say, that church changed my life. They never talked to me one time. <laughs> I've never heard that. I've never heard someone say, that church changed my life. No one there ever asked me out for coffee. I don't know anybody's name there, but man, that church is awesome. I've never heard that as long as I've lived. If that's any of you, I would love to hear your story because that would be an extremely unique story. It's as if we are, I mean, it's as if sometimes we're guilty of this, that we kind of, you know, we, we kind of get in a circle and we, we say like, this is what we believe and if you don't agree with us and if you're not like us, then you're out of the circle of trust. You know? <laughs> and like we've created this circle of trust and we look outside the world and we say, you are not like us. You need to be like us before you can belong in the circle of trust. And you've got to earn it. But that is not what Jesus did. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of the nations. How did he do that? He met those disciples where they worked. Where, at, his, at their workplaces. He met them while he was out walking along the road. He met them in their world. 
And as he was going to go about doing the good works that God had given him to do for the next three years, he invited them along. Remember that phrase, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. It wasn't just follow me and sign this pledge card. It was follow me and you're going to do something incredible. Just as much as I am doing something incredible. I can't imagine what if, you know, Jamie and his friends, Renee goes to this uh, rehab center and they never talk to her again. I mean, it's kind of scary to think. What if they stopped writing her? What if they didn't meet her when she came out? I mean, would her story be the same? I don't, I don't think it would have been. But I love that that's what Jesus does. He comes into our lives, into our normal everyday lives, and walks alongside these people. I mean, he shows up before, you know, there are thousands of people one day, and he wants to teach a message, but he says to them, hey, we have all these people, we need to feed them. And they ask a great question, how do we feed them? I mean, he's including them in all the good works that he's doing. And I want to tell you something, that in the time that I've been here, every time that we've really made a reasonable effort to invite outsiders into the good works of this church, somebody has always come, just about every single time. There is sometimes this mentality that what we read up here, that you're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded to you. That instead of seeing a comma there, we see a then, that you're baptized then, we teach you. Then you do those things. That you're converted, then you become a disciple. But that is not the model that Jesus left for us. I love the story of Peter. Peter is, uh, you know, one of Jesus' closest friends and disciples. And there are so many moments in those three years where, where you just wonder, like, at what point did Peter, quote-unquote, become a Christian? Was it when Jesus first called him and he said, okay, I'll follow you? Was it, when, uh, he, was it when Jesus said, who do you say I am? And Peter said, well, I think you're the Messiah, the Son of God. Was it when some think maybe it was when Peter saw Jesus transfigured in this sort of aura? Some people think it's when, even after that, because Remember, Peter denied him, denied knowing him three times, even after those episodes. So when exactly did Peter become a Christian? Scholars really have totally different opinions about that. And you may be wondering, I don't really know when I came to having a real faith in Christ and when I really came to start following Jesus' teaching. I don't know when that happened exactly, but it's happened. Here I am. That's how it is. I mean, I know we've structured things a little differently. We want people to pray a prayer, and that's good, because we need those sort of touch points where we can look back on. When he says baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, he's pointing us back to the very image of God that we're created in. That we're getting right back into who we are created to be. A guy named Richard War calls this the divine dance based on these 4th century, uh, I think they're Cappadocian people who wrote about this, who wrote about the Trinity and its earliest forms of how they wanted to interpret it. They said it's as if God, the Spirit, and Jesus are in this sort of divine dance that we are being included in on. And maybe it is, maybe it is like a dance. Maybe it's like a middle school dance. You know, do you remember those? You, are, are you afraid of those? <laughs> Where you have 
the guys over here and the girls over here, right? And, you know, there's those few moments when the right Taylor Swift comes, song comes on and everyone gets up, or the right Rick Nelson song, those of you who don't know Taylor Swift. Yeah. Get up and everyone comes to the middle and dances. And when you come home, you, you don't tell your parents and your friends about sitting on the side. You tell them about the dance. You tell them about the moment when you were with the other people enjoying life. Maybe it is like a dance. But I have to warn you of something. That if you actually do what Jesus did, if you actually go out into the world and include outsiders into the good works of of the church, if you actually go do that, if you actually, without an agenda, say, I would accept you no matter what your politics or whatever your theology, your philosophy on life is, whatever your religious background, I want to include you on this. I have to warn you something. People will think you are a unicorn. People are going to think you are weird. They thought Jesus was weird. They were always asking, why is he hanging out with sinners? Why is he hanging out with those people outside of the circle of trust? Because the world is particularly now, as Dave expressed in a prayer, the world is pretty certain that those people don't exist, especially in the church. We have become a cynical people, and for very good reasons. People are sure that you aren't the kind of person that's going to include them in the religious activities of your life. They're pretty certain of that. And will you? I love this story uh, in the book of Luke. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I'm just testing Tim's trigger finger there on the cough. Uh, in the book of Luke, there, you may not have known this, but there are actually 70-some other followers of Jesus. And they, uh, Jesus sends them out at one point. He says, you know, you're going to go out and you're going to cast out demons. You're going to do all these great works. And and he's, you know, it's sort of like as we're going on a mission trip and, or you go home and you're like, I'm going to do some good. You know, I'm amped up now. Church was great. I'm going to go do some good. And Jesus gives like the worst pep talk in the history of pep talks. He tells them, you're going to go do all these great works and you can imagine the people all excited. And then he says, so I am sending you out like sheep amongst wolves. Like, what? Wait a minute. I want to be the wolf. I don't want to be the sheep. <laughs> but that's not what he says. He says, you are going to be like sheep amongst wolves. And so the people go and he tells them, you know, don't take anything with you. Don't take any extra bags. Don't take any extra money, which is why we have a packing list for our mission trip. And don't take any extra stuff. You have all you need, just go. And it's going to be great. I'm going to be with you. The Spirit is going to be with you. And they come back and they tell him, Jesus, you won't believe this. Everything you said was true. We were able to cast out demons. We were able to do these incredibly beautiful works of love in the places that we went to. And the best part about this is it's one of the few moments when Jesus prays in public. He gets so amped up when they tell him this that he, he offers up a few different prayers. Oops, wrong chapter. This is an issue with the uh, Bible on the phone. He says, at that very time, Jesus rejoiced so greatly in the Holy Spirit. And then he said out loud for everyone to hear, I praise you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. Not literally little babies like Theo and Sol and Holland, but infants sort of 
on a spiritual level maybe, yes, Father, for this was well-pleasing in your sight. Jesus gets so excited that he's like, this is awesome, God. Thank you so much that you have done this. It's that song that we sang, that people, if you actually do these things and include people into your life, people will be singing that song. Who is this King of Glory? People will be wondering, who is this King of Glory that would inspire someone to actually include me into their life like that? I, have a, I went to Wales once to help teach what's called a religious education class. You know, we have physical education, they have PE and RE. It's like religion out of a book, out of a textbook. And a friend of mine taught this class. He asked me if I would come teach. And so I brought two high school students with me. And so we fly all the way to Wales. And this was awesome. This was, it was really funny because they, both of these guys had about a year or so had really started following the teachings of Jesus Christ and would call themselves Christians. So only about a year. And here they are in front of a class, a religious education class in Wales telling their story. And we had a Q&A time afterwards. And the Welsh kids, you know, this is back in like 2002. They wanted to know if we knew who Britney Spears was and all that. But then they would ask things like, you said you talked to God. How do you know you're talking to something if it's invisible and you can't hear it talk back? And they would ask other questions like, another one I remember was, you said Jesus saved you from your sins. What gives you the right to say what's a sin and what isn't? And can you imagine these 12th grade students Standing there going, I, uh, <laughs> you know, but they gave, I have to tell you, they gave incredible answers. They weren't scholarly answers. They weren't academic answers. They were answers that were honest and humble and open. And it was such a pleasure to see after that class ended for that week, to see those kids, their peers talking to them and hearing, wanting to know more about it. What makes you so crazy that you would want to commit your life to the teachings of someone that lived 2,000 years ago? And they were able to tell that story, even though they were infants. So maybe you're sitting here today, and you know of some sort of injustice, or there's some darkness that you know about. And you know that you must do something. You see it in someone's life, that things are not right. Go and make a disciple in that moment. Go into that person's life and include them in everything that you see. Include them in the good works that you do as a saint. Or maybe you're sitting here and you think, you know, I know exactly what you're talking about, about being included in the church because I have never felt included. And I want you to know I am so sorry if that is how you felt. I know people have felt that way. And I would love to chat with you about that. I know Dave would love to chat with you about that. A lot of people would love to have a conversation with you about that. Because the church needs to be held accountable for that as well. We need your story to tell us that. Because we do not sit at the doors of the church with some sort of litmus test on who gets in and who's out. We don't stand at the doors of the church. None of us do this. Is stand out there and hope that some brave soul has enough courage to walk in here and see if we're actually the kind of accepting people we say we are. That is not who we are. And that is not who Jesus is. You are made in the image of God. The most beautiful thing that gives life to all around it, that comes together and gives off life, you are made in that image. 
and you are called and commanded by Christ to be sure that everyone knows that, that they are the same, that they are also, no matter how much you don't like them, or no matter how much you disagree with them, that they are also made in that image. Let me pray. God, I thank you so much for creating us in your image. I thank you for giving life and giving it abundantly to all of us here. God, I pray for all of us that as we go out like sheep amongst wolves, as we go out like infants, as we go out like people that doubt, we know that you are there, that that is what you've said to us. And the end of that message, go and make disciples, and I will be there even to the very ends of the earth. And may we feel your presence in the midst of that. And I pray this in your son's name and for his sake. Amen.